What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. First, Republic, the second largest bank failure in U.S. history and the third major bank failure in just eight weeks. The regional banking fear with former NEC director Gary Cohn. This is not the end. Like, I don't think we're going to get three and done. Crises don't sort of end this easily. And former SEC Commissioner Jay Clayton. The structure of this deal has embedded in it the lessons of 2008. They structured the deal to avoid some of those liabilities. All the details of that major story, plus mass layoffs and mass quitting. Workplace culture scientist Jessica Kriegel. People are being treated like commodities and they're fighting back. They're doing things like quit talking, which is that they live quit their jobs on social media for all to see. It is Monday, May 1st. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And here we go. It is May 1st, Monday. We have a big Monday morning and a big deal morning when it comes to the banking industry and what seemed like a banking crisis, hoping uh, that it gets resolved. Uh, one domino saved this morning. We'll talk about it in just a moment. The market, though, reacting to that one domino, J.P. Morgan taking over First Republic with the help of the FDIC. But right now we want to bring in Leslie Picker, uh, who has the latest on this J.P. Morgan uh, First Republic transaction. We've been waiting uh, for many a week now for a deal like this. <laughs> That's right, Andrew. Um, and there is an investor presentation that was posted uh, to JP Morgan's investor relation website. Just been digging through that for additional color. Importantly, I think for investors who are trying to wrap their heads around this transaction is the transaction assumptions. Uh, we talked about how a lot of the uh, asset side of the balance sheet was underwater as a result of giving those uh, jumbo mortgages loans out at below market rates in order to attract customers. Uh, JP Morgan, as part of this transaction, says the average loan mark is about 87%. The fair value marks on acquired loans of, 20, of about $22 billion. Um, and they say that these marks are supported by a due diligence process that it describes as involving 800 J.P. Morgan employees led by senior management across businesses and functions. Uh, in this investor um, uh, report, they also describe more about the lost share agreements they have with the FDIC. Uh, J.P. Morgan says that single-family residential mortgages, there will be 80% loss coverage for seven years. Commercial loans, including CRE, uh, commercial real estate, 80% loss coverage for five years. Uh, they also describe kind of how the it, it will work with regard to the $30 billion in deposits that J.P. Morgan uh, and 10 other banks put into 
First Republic back in March in order to kind of shore up that confidence. JP Morgan says they will repay the $25 billion in deposits from large U.S. banks and eliminate the $5 billion deposit that JP Morgan had put into First Republic on consolidation. They do note that all regulatory approvals have been received. The transaction has closed. First Republic branches will open as normal today. Guys. Hey, Leslie, I mean, this just to be clear for anybody else who's watching out there, if you are a depositor in First Republic, don't worry. The branches are still going to be open today. You can still operate mm -hmm. with electronic banking through any of these issues. If you're a shareholder or a bondholder, that's a different story. J.P. Morgan's not picking up anything yes. of that. They're not picking up anything of that. Um, earlier this morning, First Republic trading around $2 a share. That's kind of a symbolic level that these things have been taken out historically. Obviously, First Republic going into receivership. They're not acquiring, uh, J.P. Morgan's not acquiring any of the per preferred stock um, or the debt on First Republic here. So it's unclear whether they're, you know, Acquiring it at some kind of symbolic price, that's not mentioned in any of the releases. Um, but if you're an equity holder, you can pretty much count on that. But if it's zero, effectively, what nothing. does the market know that we don't? Why is it trading at a dollar ninety? Or is it just short covering at this point? <laughs> Do you see what's happening it's, here? It, 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 it could be short covering. Companies like that, it for could some be reason, the equity never goes to zero. But right if you were short the stock, you got to right. right, right. But it's <laughs> just, it's probably not worth anything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if people are looking at, say, a Bear Stern situation and, and you know, that, that special $2 mark that um, Bear was acquired at and saying maybe that's going to be the case here. There's nothing in any of the releases that indicates right. that common stock uh, is part of this but, yeah, deal. Right. When They've a bank is resolved, this is different. Is, you remember, in just, fact, it says it's not. J.P. Right. Morgan goes out of its way to say that this is it not. It says covered. it's not. Right. When, when but, Bear Stearns yeah. happened, that was outside of the process. So the what I don't understand right. is why anybody... There was no receivership. Correct. This doesn't make any sense. How much money yeah. we got left in the FDIC? So what was this, 13? 13 billion, they assume. Well, 13 billion, billion which, you took out which could for... go higher. And by the way, they're also, the FDIC is financing J.P. Morgan. Yeah, That's I was going to say, the, piece the, the coverage that comes, the coverage for five years of the commercial real estate and seven years of the home loan mortgages, that's all covered by the FDIC, well, we got not taxpayer we, dollars, too? If is this that? is it, we got plenty left. This is going pretty well. It's going too well for me to believe how well it's going, because we got plenty left in the FDIC. They're in a lot better shape than the SPR. I'll tell you that much. Uh, Leslie, did they give the answer on that, though? They, like, who the, they, they're being covered for the losses on this by the government, by the FDIC? What, who, by the who FDIC. Okay, so the FDIC is the bank self-insuring mm -hmm. it. That's not taxpayer dollars. Probably worth pointing right, out, Right, but the too. financing piece right. of it, which is, what, right. $50 billion is coming from the FDIC. 50 which is, it's a little bit like uh, vendor financing, yeah. which is a very sort of mm -hmm. unique and odd um, we'll get that back. sort of structure. No, you hope to get it back. I think you, I, you but it, we're doing well for, for a banking crisis where you don't even need to, you know, you don't even have to charge the big <laughs> banks even, I don't think you have to replenish it really, do you? We're doing all right. Oh, they've already said they're going to be right, replenishing it. Right, but it's not too bad. Yeah. See, I, I'm saying that things never work this great. I just don't believe it. I mean, things never, it seems like it, it, when you stay at zero for that long, it seems like we don't know everything yet. Was it a mistake for the banks to put the $30 billion in and effectively prolong the pain, if you will, or, or not? I think it's a good question. I mean, hindsight will truly tell. If you look at the way that this process 
was structured and, and the way that it, it worked. Um, and I think to Joe's point, it does seem a little bit more orderly. It seems a little bit more under control in terms of just this idea that they, the FDIC seized it immediately, uh, seized it and then immediately sold it potentially by giving them that lifeline, giving that time to figure things out. It may have caused some pain for shareholders, certainly over the course of those few weeks, uh, that that could be pain that they would have experienced anyway, obviously, given the outcome. Um, but the fact that they were able to kind of get this deal done in a somewhat orderly manner would suggest that maybe giving those deposits, which don't appear to be losing any of their value over time, uh, wasn't such a mistake as it allowed for everyone to kind of get their ducks in a row and, and come up with this kind of an outcome. I, I, Leslie, it may have been a bigger deal from the contagion perspective, because there were so many questions about so many other banks, and we have not seen shares of many of those other regional banks affected at all over the last couple of weeks. If you looked at the deposit base on that, yeah. First Republic had $176 billion in assets at the end of the year. By March 31st, that number was down to, what was it? It was $103 billion, but that included the $30 billion that had been put in from these other banks. So without that, you would have been talking about $176 billion you know, down to 73 billion. And that would have been completely um, disastrous, even as it was when it came out at 103 billion, that panicked people. Um, and now they're talking about $92 billion that, that JP Morgan just took over in deposits. And that included the 30 billion. So you're down to $62 billion from 176 billion at the end of the year over the space of four months time. Mm -hmm. um, that is a phenomenal dis disappearance of funds even with all of this confidence being put into it, I wonder if it bought time for some of the other banks and for people to kind of look through what the other banks had and didn't have. So maybe it, maybe it worked from that perspective, but it sure didn't help at all with First Republic. I think that the downside was significant had they not put those deposits yeah. in. Um, but in terms of actually ring fencing and, and accomplishing the goal that they stated they wanted to accomplish by putting those, uh, by infusing those $30 billion worth of deposits, it seemed to just simply kick the can down the road. But again, it, it it could have been worse had they not done that. The contagion, the fear, all of that may have spread to a greater extent than it had done. Uh, and so I think, you know, we can say that with hindsight, but it'll be interesting to see kind of as things progress over time, whether this really is the end or if there is more to come. Leslie, thank you for continuing to update us. It's Monday. Blah. We had no weekend. We, had no we weekend. did not. We had no weekend. But we were... We were, ho yeah, but we were hobnobbing the rich and famous, though, right? So it's working a little bit. Or is that off the record? No, it's not off the record. I was on TV. It's all, it's reporters. The whole thing's journalists. No, it's not off the record. He was like, you should see him walk around. There's like people, like, there was Lisa Vanderpump and you, basically, at this thing. That was, that was basically it, right? Keep going. Say more. Cheese <laughs> will be next. Coming up, the third major bank failure in the last few months. Former National Economic Council director and former Goldman Sachs exec Gary Cohn on what went right and what went wrong. I think everyone knew that First Republic was in trouble three or four weeks ago. I think it would have been much more prudent for the regulators to have stepped in pre-earnings. And former SEC Commissioner Jake Clayton on the impact to Washington's political tug of war. This did not start with this administration. But like anything, I think that this administration is, is amplifying on steroids this approach. Squawk Pod will be right back.
Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Osorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. We got two deal makers here uh, who actually lived through 2008 and were on all sides of it. Former SEC Chairman Jake Clayton is here as a CNBC contributor and now executive chair of Apollo, American Express board member and senior policy advisor for Sullivan and Cromwell. The, the Jay Clayton Portfolio of Life, and uh, Gary Cohn, IBM Vice Chairman and former National Economic Council Director, and of course, um, Mr. Goldman Sachs during the 2008 crisis. Okay, so what do you guys think of this? Is this, is this what you expected? I mean, I, I think there were so many people who were concerned after 2008, actually, and the experience of J.P. Morgan in particular went through in terms of legal liability, that there was a view that actually some of the big banks wouldn't want to touch something like this. So I'll, I'll kick it off. So, look, I think this is what it was expected, but I'm surprised that it took this long to get here. Right. In fact, I think one should be shocked it took this long to get here. I think everyone knew that First Republic was in trouble three or four weeks ago. Um, and the assets just deteriorated. Deposits continued to leave the bank. The bank put out earnings, which the regulators knew what the earnings were long before they put them out. I think it would have been much more prudent for the regulators to have stepped in pre-earnings right. and try so and deal with the So that's actually very interesting. It was waiting to see what the deal was going to be. The regulators wanted a private deal. The private investors are like, forget it. We want the best deal we can <laughs> right. possibly get. Actually, well. You know, we, we talked about this. Yeah. The longer you waited as a buyer, the better deal you exactly. got. Exactly. Right. This was the falling Which is why we didn't get the game press release until 3.45 yeah. in the morning. But could, should have this been forced, I guess what I, I guess where you're going with this, and I think a lot of people were going with this, is this should have been forced, if you will, three, four, five weeks ago. I mean, there's some question as to whether this $30 billion program, if you remember, when all the banks came together, led by J.P. Morgan, in fact, should have even happened. Yes. Look, the, the, the question is, have we created the new moral hazard? And the moral hazard now is never buy a bank until it goes into receivership. But we already knew that after because what happened in Because you're going to get a much better deal when right. it goes into receivership. So, yes, everyone knew that the First Republic was going to transact three or four weeks ago. But three or four weeks ago, you weren't going to get loan sharing. You weren't going to get loss absorption. You weren't going to get a line of credit from the FDIC. You were going to have to go in there as an arm's length deal. When the FDIC takes it over and puts it into receivership, it's a whole new deal. Right. But, but, Gary, wouldn't you say that part of this was lessons learned from 2008, whether that be Bear Stearns or anybody else? Like, why would you want to step in as a big bank knowing all the bad things that happened last time around? I think this is different than 2008 in some respects, and, and Jay would have a very strong opinion with that. In, in, in 2008, 
you were taking over mega mortgage servicing portfolios and the mortgages were the culprit of the time. The, the issue going on right now was a deposit run and a mismatched duration interest rate book. Right. There's a lot less ramifications from a mismatched duration and interest rate book than there is in originating mortgages that maybe should not have been originated. There's a much longer tail. Right. right. Yeah. But Becky, Becky's right. The structure of this deal has embedded in it the yeah. lessons of 2008. They, they structured the deal right. to, to avoid some of those liabilities that, that basically came along into unexpected liabilities. Well, let's talk about those liabilities. Are there there. legal liabilities that come with a transaction once it's in receivership? (laughs) Which is to say, effectively, can shareholders, can individuals, can the government or government's agencies sue you, meaning J.P. Morgan, over things that happened at First Republic over the last decade? Okay, that question was litigated coming out of 2008. And as usual in in the world of uh, what I would say is legal liability, facts and circumstances matter. Okay. But you you can tell here that this was structured, and and it should be structured um, to avoid those things. So you you think those liabilities are now off the table? If you want a a buyer to come into these kinds of situations and do due diligence in the space of, you know, three or four weeks, you can't say, oh, by the way, you've got to take as is, where is, including all of the liabilities. Otherwise, the, what's the price? If you, have to, if you have to discount for those liabilities, the, the amount of support right. the FDIC is going to have to come up with is going to be much larger. You made a note to yourself. What, what was the note? No, it has nothing to do with this topic. Okay. I, no, but I, <laughs> I was thinking about what to, he's, always, what to he's always a step ahead. He's one step ahead. But I was, do you think there's legal? I mean, we don't know that there's no legal liability. We don't liability know that there's no legal this. liability, but... but let, let's just be. Let's just take a step back. Should should the buyer be assuming legal liabilities in these kinds of situations? Because it it will skew the price lower by right. a substantial amount more than the expected okay, I have a legal strat- liability. I have a strategy question, which is to say, do you? I mean, the bank, J.P. Morgan, saying this is going to be accretive to them. Mark, I mean, I, I think, frankly, minimally accretive to them. Yeah. Do you think that this is actually a good deal for them? And the reason I ask is, a lot of deposits, frankly, were already going to J.P. Morgan. Right? They were already there. They don't really want to be in the super jumbo mortgage business. In fact, they've sort of gone away from that business to the extent that it's going to help their wealth management business. They already have a pretty healthy wealth management business. How does, it, how does this help them relative to a PNC or, I mean, Bank of America, it sounds like dropped out uh, probably, I think, on Saturday. But h- how do you think about sort of what this does or doesn't do to the bank? I, look, I, I think it's a good deal for the system, right? I mean, and if you're... And oh, if I don't disagree with that. I'm saying, so, I'm saying a year or two from now, our shareholders of J.P. Morgan are going to say, I'm so glad that J.P. Morgan and Jamie Dimon stepped in, or are they going to say, mm, it's, I Andrew, prefer they wish they did. Andrew, relative to the size of J.P. Morgan today, this is not that relevant. I don't think shareholders are going to notice three years from now. You're talking about a multi-trillion dollar bank buying a bank right. with a hundred billion dollars of assets. I mean, it, it's, it's a really small, maybe, small maybe transaction. On, maybe on the wealth right. management side. Do you see, you say maybe on, on the wealth on management the, Maybe on the wealth management side. Look, First Republic had a great wealth management right. franchise, great connections. But the question is, does that wealth, franchise, wealth management franchise hold up That'll if you be can't the, or, or the, offer them, you know, basically ridiculous mortgage prices? Yeah. Um, longer term, though, what do you think in terms of other dominoes? Are there dominoes after this? I mean, we've talked about commercial real estate affecting so many different regional banks, but is there some bank that all of a sudden everyone's eyes are going to go, okay, we were over here, now we're over here? So I, I think this is not the end. Okay. Like, I don't think we're going to get three and done. Crises don't sort of end this easily. There will be other issues out there in the banking world. We've seen an interest rate move that's unprecedented. We've gone from 0% to 5%. The Fed will most likely move again this week. Right. You know, the, the 
unintended consequences of that on banks and balance sheets is fairly substantial. So we, we will see something in the commercial real estate right. market, but look, that's what we're talking about. What you learn in the banking industry, it's usually the problem you're not talking about. Everyone wants to talk about commercial real estate. There's probably other things in the banking books right now that are going to probably be more problematic than the commercial real estate. Like what? Because I bet you know. <laughs> no, I, you know, I just think that it's never what you think it's going to be. You know, I'm almost equally as concerned about the consumer. You know, we've seen this massive consumer strength. We've seen consumers living off of stimulus payments. Right. We see the, st the stimulus payments winding down. Once stimulus payments wind down, we see credit quality deteriorating in the United States. We see the consumers still outspending. They've got to remember to stop spending when their savings runs out. Yeah. So w there are other factors besides commercial real estate. Commercial real estate is not the hardest one to deal with right. because you're dealing with big assets. You can amend and extend those loans. We were talking offline and you, know, you talk about stress tests, you talk about how do you measure the health of a bank. One thing we were saying is Monte Carlo analysis, take, taking just something random and saying what happens what happens if the consumer stops spending right. and looking at what that does to liquidity and the assets on the balance sheet that can be some of the most valuable right. exercises that people do okay but let me just ask you then this is sort of the moral hazard question you're raising which is assuming this is not the last domino mm -hmm. we've now seen jp morgan step in because they can offer the lowest lowest cost effectively uh, lowest cost money why would anybody ever bid in the future for any of these banks uh, for any of these banks if in fact J.P. Morgan, the large, the, maybe Bank of America, maybe J.P. Morgan are the only ones who can actually offer uh, a deal at these kind of prices. Meaning, if you're PNC, you're going to say, I'm not going through this process again. <laughs> he, he was ahead of you on the notes. One of the consequences of Dodd-Frank is the bifurcation of our banking system. We have the, we have the GSIBs, the extremely large banks. Then you have the regionals and so the So maybe others. we are like Canada and Australia and everything else, right? Yeah. Well, look, I, I think we've got to look back 14 years later. What did Dodd-Frank give us? It gave us the two big to fail banks. Right. It put this gigantic deep moat around them. It made them impenetrable. It made them so big that we have to protect them. But it also made them the buyer of last resort for everything when everyone else disappears. And, and no one's going to question their ability to buy because we right. know how highly regulated they are. We know how deep and broad their capital base is. The question is, what did it do right. to the smaller banks? But does anyone it, may, right. it may have made them tougher to manage. In many respects. But it means that nobody else is going to step. My point is, by the way, Goldman Sachs, which wants to build this wealth management business, could have been the kind of bank that would have bought a First Republic in the old days, right? Morgan Stanley might have done the similar kind of thing. Now, almost impossible. Yep. Um, want to pivot the conversation. You had a fascinating op-ed out uh, last week about sort of the regulatory environment, especially around transactions and the like, and how we had Bobby Kotick sitting here just last week during the Microsoft Activision deal, which seems to have been upended, at least temporarily. We'll see how the appeal goes. But this idea is that it effectively was upended not by our own regulators, or at least not yet, uh, but by the UK. And what we, from the US perspective, should or should not be doing about it. You want to explain? Sure, look, we, we, have, we have global companies that, that are centered here in the United States. Huge market share in the United States, hugely important. And we're shifting in some areas, financial services, um, tech and the like, to allowing what I say is the regulatory tail wag the substantive dog. Right. So wh why would we outsource the fate of a transaction? Now, I'm not gonna, whether the transaction's good or bad, let's just put that to the side. Why would we let a market that say is one, two, three percent 
of total turnover for two companies determine whether that whether that merger should go through, particularly in the areas that are so important to the United States. I mean, we've, we've talked about this, you know, tech, right. healthcare, financial services, Oh, aerospace. I don't disagree with you, but what do you think? I mean, it's very possible that the, this administration has the exact same perspective and view on these transactions as the Europeans do. Well, they do. And so, yeah. effectively, they they're saying, you do it so we don't have to well, take the, the it, hit it, the same way. And right? look, Andrew, we think this is the issue. The administration has a very ambitious social goal and social agenda. The legislators have not legislated that into law. So the regulators that oversee transactions, whether they be the FTC or any of these other regulators that are supposed to oversee these merger transactions, they do not really have the tools to administer the social, social agenda into corporate deals. Now, the Europeans do. So if they kick the deal to Europe, Europe can enforce the social agenda, and then the U.S. can say, oh, the Europeans opined on this. Right. Let's accept their ruling because we want global harmony, yeah. right. even though we don't have those rules on our books. So we're actually importing the European regulation right. when we're the dominant economy where the vast majority of these companies live and, and thrive. And you guys actually picked the New York Times because you don't need to preach to the choir in the journal. <laughs> these are people you need to, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. clue in on what's actually going on. <laughs> we, want, they, we, we wanted to reach a diverse they audience. They think that your way <laughs> yeah. is the way to go over there, I think, don't they? Um, no, we, we, look, we appreciate that the Times published this. I know, piece. I yeah, know. You speak to those people instead of just, you know, in so, your own little echo chamber. But, but let me ask you then, do you think this is an issue of this administration in particular, which it may very well just be, or do you think that there's a larger systemic issue that needs to get sort of codified into law to prevent this type of behavior in the future? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be fair. This did not start yeah. with this administration. But like anything, I think that right. this administration is, is amplifying right. steroids. Yeah, on steroids, this, this approach. Right. And, and the, the euphemisms of you know, global harmony, uh, comedy, right. those types of things, they, they can be a smokescreen for I, a social can, agenda. Do you guys think the Fed needs to go with all the credit contraction from what you guys just talked about? Don't you th is, is there going to be ramifications from, from what happened, what we're doing now? Oh, There's no small banks? I mean, look, look what, what the unintended consequences from the bank failures in the last month are having a much more dramatic oh, impact you take a step in the back, market than what the Fed has if done. If you were, were you writing down, I want to be Fed? What did you no. write down? No, no, no. no. <laughs> what would you, what, what, we, got, we got to run. I got one more curveball for Jay, would though, you before go we go. I, we got to get yeah, well, Last uh, week, we had a big debate on this set, actually, about Coinbase, which you know is now being investigated by the SEC. And Brian Armstrong, the CEO, came out and said, this makes no sense because we went public. At the time we went public, the SEC had to look at our business and had to decide whether we should you know, even allow it to go public. Isn't it, uh, doesn't it make no sense for them to come back two years later and start to decide that parts of our business uh, basically are illegal? Look, what say you my, as the former head of the SEC? Yeah, I, I, I need to preface by saying my, my firm, Sullivan and Cromwell, is involved in the matter. Okay. So let me just say that. But, but it, it, it is a practically appealing point, which is you are my regulator. You permitted me to engage in this activity, um, and now you're telling me that I've got to change my business. But my question is, does the, was the SEC, by allowing you to go public, are they opining on that? By the way, if you look at the front page of every prospectus, by the way, Coinbase and everybody else, it says that the SEC has not decided that everything that's going on is uh, copacetic. And that, by the way, it's criminal to say that the SEC has decided that it is. No, that's right. The, the, the SEC does not um, basically indemnify for the information in the prospectus. The information in the prospectus 
has always been and always will be the responsibility of the company. Um, but there's an others. implicit something, no? No, of course there's back and forth. And, right. and of course you would expect that. But, but as a legal matter, you have it right. Okay. I still don't think we've resolved it. No, I don't. <laughs> Look, I don't think we have. Jay and Gary, thank you guys. Thank you, Especially uh, on the big news day. Especially you, Gary. No. <laughs> Up next on Squawk Pod, the quit-talking, double-hustling new generation of workers. Workplace culture scientist Jessica Kriegel on mass layoffs and the toll of mass quitting. You're going to start to see increasing unionization efforts. You're going to see more anti-work sentiment getting louder and louder on social media. And the reason this is important for CEOs to think about is because their brand is getting affected. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. After uh, a month of layoffs from some of the biggest companies, employees are struggling with how to react. Uh, in the meantime, there's an, an increase in anti-work sentiment. Artificial intelligence revolutionizing the way people work uh, and the future of remote work, which is uncertain. Joining us now is Jessica Kriegel, Culture Partners Chief Scientist of Workplace Culture. I didn't even know that that, that job existed, uh, but but I like it, Jessica. And and I wondered about it until I saw things that I mean, you know, things I don't know. There's something called quit talking. What is that on TikTok where you talk about how you've quit? Can you explain that? Because there's other interesting things here that are in the culture now that uh, that are kind of new. Yeah, as you said, anti-work sentiment is growing. People are seeing the lack of equity between CEO pay and frontline worker pay. They're seeing the mass layoffs that are happening. People are being treated like commodities and they're fighting back. They're doing things like quit talking, which is that they live quit their jobs on social media for all to see. They're also doing things like getting second jobs and third jobs full-time remote jobs without telling their employers, so it's a secret second job and third job, so that they can make more money. They're taking the power back in any way that they can. And because the workload would be harder, <laughs> one of their employers is getting chat GPT generated work from them. They're cheating. Yeah, many people are leveraging ChatGPT and other AI tools to automate all aspects of their life, calendaring, writing copy, and then software development even, people in IT support. I mean, there's a lot of ways that they can now use these tools to be more productive. And instead of giving all of that productivity to one company, they're feeling like, well, these companies aren't transparent with me. Why should I be transparent with them? I'm going to leverage these tools to make more money. And that's how they're taking the power back. And, and there's virtual layoffs and and. It, the whole world has changed a little bit. But Jessica, companies overhired during the pandemic and this rationalization we're seeing from that is it, it's not I mean, it maybe isn't exactly like things that have happened in the past, but it's very similar to it. Just just done a little bit differently, I guess, this time around. But 
you know, there's, there's boom times and there's bust times in any economy, and that's followed by overhiring and then, um, and then firing and layoffs. Yeah, and I think that there's this bit of a disconnect between the reality of the economic situation and the way that we're seeing the mass layoffs play out right now. What's true is that you cannot have innovation in the same environment that has fear. There's a massive lack of psychological safety for employees with all of these layoffs happening, and that's making them less innovative, which you're noticing with these companies. I mean, Amazon and Meta, they're historically known as being innovative companies, but what have they done lately that's very innovative? I think the culture of fear is taking over and they're suffering as a result. This is not, I mean, we're looking at recent layoffs, but once again on Friday, we're expecting a continuation of, of a pretty strong labor market, uh, signs of it. And that's what the Fed is looking at. I mean, we're at historically low uh, unemployment rates. So it's kind of weird that we're talking about uh, that this is the, the beginning of a trend of, of how people are responding to getting laid off at, with some of the best uh, employment numbers ever. That's also what employees are looking at, and that's why they're so frustrated. You're going to start to see increasing unionization efforts. You're going to see more anti-work sentiment getting louder and louder on social media. And the reason this is important for CEOs to think about is because their brand is getting affected. When people quit talk, it's negative for your reputation as a brand. Consumers are going to start stop buying your products because they're getting a bad taste in their mouth about what they're seeing about how you treat your employees. So Culture and brand are now merging in a way that they haven't before, thanks to social media. The producer just told me that we need to quit talk. Quit talk, uh, Jessica. <laughs> out of time. Yeah. So we got to make gotta some quit. dough, some advertising dough. We, we do. Know what's happening here? Well, thanks for having me. And that's Squawk Pod for today, this May Day Monday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan. Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the best of our TV show, headlines, analysis, interviews you can't miss, to get all of that right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 